everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. Today, uh, we're going to talk about products and products specifically, and also some of the trends that are happening and some of the things that we're seeing in the industry and what we can do for with a certain tool on how to stop those things. So today, I am joined by Al from Riskified. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Yeah, thanks for uh, scheduling the time to, to come on here and, and talk about all these things. Um, let's talk a little bit about you first and foremost, and then we'll get into the meat and bones of this thing. Uh, let's talk about what your job is, what you do, maybe even a little bit about Riskified for the people that might not know. Hopefully everybody knows, but uh, there's always uh, audience members that might not know. So if you could just give me just a quick little rundown, that'd be great. My name is Dayal Elazar. I'm the head of uh, product marketing at Riskified. For those who are not familiar with Riskified, uh, Riskified helps businesses realize their potential um, by making e-commerce safe, accessible, and frictionless. All right, that's the pitch. But what does it actually mean? Um, we have machine learning-based solutions that identify uh, transactions in e-commerce, and we can tell whether a transaction is trustworthy or not. And we've been we were founded at two, uh, 2012. And we started with fraud. So naturally, we could tell whether or not e-commerce could trust a transaction, if it's a true cardboard or not. And today, we offer a variety of solutions, from fraud prevention to helping with the disputes, even non-fraud disputes, uh, all the way up to account takeovers. And what we're going to talk about today is preventing policy abuse. Excellent. And I think that policy abuse um, is something that that is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And, you know, I, I tend to say it at all of our in-person meetings that we always have in the world. And um, even on this podcast quite a bit that I don't think people are paying enough attention to what is happening in their, their policy abuse and the, the losses that are coming from that. Um, I think it's it's pretty significant, and, and I'm really happy that we're going to talk about that today and what you guys do. Um, I have I've used your guys's product at, in the past at a company, and one of the things that uh, just for the audience that that is is kind of unique against some of the other fraud tools in the in the marketplace is Riskified kind of positions themselves as a um, more of a hands off solution for the end user, where the the decision is always an instant yes or no. Um, so there's no manual review with their solution. It's it's you're going to accept the transaction, you're going to reject the transaction. And that's kind of been a, a, a popular way to do things for the past few years, as manual review tends to have a lot of uh, pain points for companies, you know, in the Amazon world, where we're trying to get things out next day, same day, um, any sort of delay that you can have with with or holdups that you have in getting an order out the door, um, even in in digital transactions where it's instant delivery, it could be a real pain point for an organization if there's any delay. And you definitely, as a fraud team, don't want that delay to be in your team because then you're on the radar more than you need to be. Fraud teams are typically seen as a cost center versus a profit center. So it's better just to stay off the radar. And, and Riskified has been a, a tool that's helped a lot of folks um, get past that and getting those decisions made faster and getting orders out the door. So, yeah, I actually have spent some time with you guys. Um, I went to Tel Aviv to your guys's office over there. I think you guys have moved since then, uh, but had a, a went to your user summit over there back in 2019 before the pandemic. 
and had a, had a really nice time. You guys had a really nice event, a lot of learning, a lot of your merchants, your, your marquee merchants were there doing presentations. And I thought at the time I actually wasn't a user yet. Um, I became a user after that. So there, there's some, some good that happened from it. So yeah. <laughs> um, Let's talk a little bit about product marketing specifically as we as we roll into some of your new offerings that you have. Um, what is product marketing, uh, and how did you get into Riskified, and how does your role like evolved or, or or all of that? Like your history with Riskified. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start with what is product marketing and the way I define product marketing. So I look at product marketing as the connection between the product and R and D organization and the go-to-market organization. What I try to do as a product marketeer and as a leader of the product marketing organization is to understand the customer, understand the pain point, understand what they're going through, and be an expert on the product. Understand exactly what we can do, how we can do things, and understand how do we leverage the need and our abilities in order to create the right positioning of our product. Explain what is it that we do? How do we do it? Why do we do it? And we work day in and day out with our partner or the organization to help them optimize our product so they can deliver the best value to our customers. Uh, hopefully that's that clear enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty good explanation. Like, I think that um, a voice of the customer is something that a lot of organizations are starting to learn. You know, a lot of these these tools have been they hire great engineers and they have great ideas on the product side, but connecting the from the customer to the product side, I think is is something that that some companies lack because you can build all the greatest tool in the world, but if that's not something we're looking for or something that we need, it might not necessarily be used, if that makes sense, because you need to know what, what we need, you know? And I think that like this, this focus to abuse is a great, a great example of that because, you know, fraud is something like, that's what we do. That's what we're known. We fight fraud. You know, we're trying to stop people from using credit cards that aren't theirs. We're trying to stop people from using wallets that aren't theirs to make purchases. We try to fight chargebacks. We try and stop chargebacks. We try to win chargebacks, but there's this whole other segment that's happening that causes financial harm to organizations. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys are making a tool that, that addresses those things. So can you kind of talk about some of the things that you're seeing? Um, and then we can kind of go into those. <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, I think when it comes to policy and it's slightly different than your classic uh, CNP fraud. And you mentioned with fraud, it's really classic about taking quick decisions. Yes or no, approve a transaction or not. With policy, I don't think of what we do as a tool. I look at what we do as providing merchants with a new set of capabilities. I like that. And and, and if it's, it's like before that capability, you can see the world in black and white. Now you can see the world in color. Because with abuse, with policy in general, it's not as definitive as fraud. It's not, is this the right card order or not? There's a range of things that's happening with each transaction and each customer and each pattern. Yeah. And every merchant, look, look, merchant looks at it in a different way. And what, if, what makes it even more complicated is there is no ground proof. There is no chargeback. It's so hard to know if you made the right decision or not. Yeah. 
And the impact is huge because you're not only declining a transaction, you're deciding how to go about a customer. If you're telling a customer that you don't trust their refund claim or that you don't want to allow them to create a new account or you don't want to give them that promo code or anything of that sort, you're impacting your relation with that customer. So every decision counts. It's huge. Yeah, and with us specifically, like like I, I say it a lot. Um, like my company, um, iHerb, we we have competition in the market, you know. And there's there's we want to make sure that our customers are extremely satisfied with their end to end experience with our with our company, with finding the products they want, getting those products out the door, and getting them in their hands extremely quickly, no matter where they are in the world. Whether that you will used to be Russia, whether that's mainland Africa, whether it's LATAM, uh, APAC, like uh, we pride ourselves on making sure that it's a it's a pretty seamless and quick experience. Now that does boil all the way down to refunds, exchanges, you know, returns. Um, the process there, like we have people that are, are specialized in handling those refund requests. I think a lot of companies, you know, especially in the Amazon era, have worked really hard on finding their their refund or their return strategy, especially during the pandemic too. Um, being able to make it quick and easy because there's a lot of people, especially as you grow a company and you scale a company, you, you're going to get more refund requests as a result of more more sales. And one of the things that I, I always talk about that kind of like put other e-commerce merchants at a disadvantage was like the Amazon, if you request a refund, you're just going to get your money back, you get to keep the product. And during the pandemic, with all these new people entering the, the e-commerce space, trying to having to get their toilet paper online, having to get most of their goods in an online space, the the expectation became different from what they have on an Amazon experience versus what they have on any other e-commerce website. And the, the other retailers, the other merchants were expected to kind of change to adapt to an Amazon-like experience. Now, whether that be live chatting, refunding instantly, not requesting the product. And then, of course, with that space, with that quickness, came bad actors that wanted to exploit it and like you'll see like other podcasts and things talk about like there's whole books on the dark web on how to exploit these refunds and that's become a loss if you look at like your refunds before the pandemic your refunds at the beginning and then the refunds at the height of the pandemic i bet you that the the increase is full points like like full percentage points versus like your chargebacks which we always measure basis points i know i've said this a million times on this podcast but it's true. So you see all these refunds walking out the door. And especially if you're a company that doesn't request the product back, like you're you're giving free product away and you're, you're it's a loss on sales. And you can't swing the pendulum completely back the other way to where you start denying people. And then you start, like, as you were saying, having a bad customer experience because you don't want to offend your customers because then they go on Yelps, they go on like social media, Twitters and all that. And they start to complain. And then other people hear your brand and they have this negative thing to go on like these scam websites and all of these things because they had a bad time. And there's a balance that needs to be done to weed out the good customers. You can't, you can't be really hard and really rigid with your policies because you're going to insult the good customers while trying to, to stop those little percentages. And I know I went on a long rant there, I'm sure that you have some opinions, so I'd love to hear those. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, first of all, you, you let's talk about again how hard is it. Um, I think that I agree with you. Amazon really changed it for merchants, and what in the past might have been depreciating for some, today it's just basic. You are expected to have free returns. You are expected to have same day delivery. You are expected uh, to have like a no question asked return policy. 
And some look at it as, as, as we find abuse as a monster of our own creation. We made it so easy. And again, let's talk about the difference between fraud. Now, I, now classic DMP fraud is not that hard, but it requires something, right? You yeah. need to get your hands on a stolen credential. What do you need in order to pick up the phone and ask for your money back saying you never got an item? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, good point. And, and let's say you did it once and it was nice and you want to do it again. What do you have to do differently? You want to go undetected? Change your email. How hard is it to change an email? It's not. And 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 Google is in charge of that. Man, how hard is it to open like a new Gmail account? Right? It's so easy. And when you look at at at, at customers like accounts, and most companies until you do that, it's just so easy. Anyone can do it. It's extremely scalable. And while it it was there before the pandemic, it definitely spiked up during the pandemic. We haven't seen it decrease ever since because people enjoy their premium discount. And by the way, these could be loyal customers as well, right? These are not just bad actors. These are maybe your huge brand enthusiasts. They just want to get their 20, 30, 40, 50, or 80% discount. Yep. They enjoy your product. Um, but yeah, it's extremely hard to maintain that. And the percentages just go uh, and, and get steeper and steeper. And you know, you talked about what happened before the pandemic and during the pandemic. Let's talk about what's going to happen next in the time of economic uncertainty. Prices might go up. People will have less cash. Uh, what do you do? You get stuff for free. Yes, you, you do. The same thing you do, <laughs> and you just want to get your money back. How easy is that? Um, and yeah, and I think, and I think um, organizations today, and, and again, organizations know how to deal with fraud. With policy, it's very different. You have customer service and you have the fraud teams and you have the e-commerce. You have different teams handling the same problem. By the way, sometimes maybe with different KPIs, right? Someone's calling a customer service agent. Maybe that agent is suspecting that something is up, but they want to get their first five-star rating. Yep. They don't want to get trashed. So they can offer some appeasement. They can offer the refund. Not every organization has a dedicated abuse team. And even though that abuse team is, it's so hard to pinpoint those abuses in real time. And you mentioned how important it is to get things through the door. It's so hard to get that at scale uh, with with the sophistication of policy. And 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 if you were to you mentioned the the books on the dark web, I don't think many organizations understand that this is not just something being done by specific individual. Some customers are more hungry to get like premium discounts. No, this is a huge industry on the dark web, on Telegram, where you have service providers, people who are professional, and they know how to get companies to give you a refund. And they do it for you. They process your refund for a percentage or a certain fee. And this is, again, this is a huge marketplace. You have people looking for jobs. You have people on the dark web saying, I know how to get refunds from company. Is there anyone who has a service that can hire me because I don't have enough volume? And people looking for employees to increase their business. And, and with that, there's new MOs. And while some companies only try to handle 1% of abuse, I don't think they understand how much money are they losing. Uh, if you talk about refunds, anywhere yeah. between 10 to 15% of those refunds are abusive. 
Yeah. That's huge. That's yeah. huge. And that and, and that's a bottom line money that 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 is gone. Yeah. That's um, that's a, an excellent like point there too, you know, like like when you really start to peel back those layers, you know, like there's a lot of noise in there. And I think it's important to 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 mention too, like there is a difference between refund and return. Like there is an absolute difference on that. Like refunds, you know, people are just looking to get the money back. They want to keep the product. But then when they there's refunds, you see companies like Zara, for example, like there was like during the the pandemic, there was a lot of, you know, you could buy a bunch of stuff and then you could return it if it doesn't fit, blah, 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 you know, super easy. And that got to be to where people were buying like 15 sizes of something, you know, and just to find out which one is the size that they want. And then grab the size they want and then mail everything back. Kind of like the Warby Parker model where you get like 15 different glasses. You put one on, you can only buy the ones you want. But <laughs> but like that became such a huge problem that now companies like Zara and others are starting to say, well, yeah, you can return everything, but you're going to have to pay to send it back. And then that comes swings the pendulum back the other way. It's like, okay, are they going to lose customers because they're doing that? Are they going to go to somebody that doesn't do that? Like there's, I mean, people typically that, that want Zara want Zara products, you know, but there's there's competition in that space too. And what is going to be your customer drive? And then you see people that are trying to do uh, like returns, like manipulating the labels. One of the things that I, um, that I remember is I did a panel with Keith and he was talking specifically about how they'll get a refund or return request from some of their customers. And then they'll see the, the package that's being returned is actually being sent from a completely different state than they shipped the product actually too. So there's abuse being there. So if you look at like how like the Walmarts and all those guys always talk about in like these, these, these white papers that they put out about like return abuse and everything where they get a box of rocks and a TV instead. So all of a sudden you ship a package to Ohio from California and then you see the return labels coming from Florida, you know, what's really going to be in that box? Did they steal the product? Mm -hmm. So there's two types of theft, you know, there's, there's theft where they're actually returning nothing in a box um, or there's theft where they're like, they're, just asking for a refund, expecting to keep the product. And I think that it's important to, to recognize that while those things are similar, they are very different. Um, yeah. <laughs> and opinions yeah, about they, that. They are. They, they are different. And well, you mentioned two things, but the, and, and uh, manipulating later labels is could be even more than that. So yes, there is the question of an absolute truth. Did you get an empty box? By the way, it doesn't have to be an empty box. It could be filled with rocks, wrapping paper. I heard a merchant getting a box of weed. I don't know if they like it or not, but this is oh. what they got. <laughs> um, but, um, but they actually get something. Um, and then there's something you can do about it. There's another ray scale in the middle where you don't even get the package. Someone submits a return. But that return never reaches the merchant. And when you talk about label manipulation, it's not just maybe sending it from different locations and not knowing what will happen once it's processed. It's someone uses Photoshop to change the label. So they just take the label, they put it on an empty envelope, and they ship an empty envelope back. That envelope will never reach your warehouse. When it doesn't reach your warehouse, it, it, it's presumed to be missing in transit and you get your money back. Yeah. Uh, and there's even even a more interesting MO where people print uh, return labels with disappearing ink. 
So you just bring ink, you print the label, then you have the carrier scan it. Yeah. Again, it's an empty envelope. By the time it reaches the warehouse, it's an empty envelope with an empty label. What do you do? Nothing. It's missing, you get your money back. And it's not that common, and it's quite hard to do. But it just goes to show you how innovative is this community. And every time that one thing works, immediately you have a chatter and you have all these abusers knowing about it, knowing how to work on it, knowing the ins and outs. And I talk, let's talk about it. Like I think every merchant has some type of basic policy set. Um, if it's under $50, I'm going to yep. give them their money back. You have, uh, you have people tracking each and every merchant. And when that merchant changes that from 50 to 40 to 30, immediately everyone knows because they just share the data. Um, so what do you do? What do you do? And, exactly. and, and, and you mentioned ZAR and, and you mentioned paying for returns. I think this is the problem. The problem is by not having the capability to know who to trust, when to trust them, and on what terms, then you're forced to have a one-size-fits-all policy. You either pay for a return or you don't. Uh, maybe there's some differentiation, I don't know, like a premium membership, whatever, where it's free and the others pay for it. But every case is different. And while you try to provide the best service to everyone, then you say, okay, so abuse is the cost of doing business. And then if you charge for return, then yeah, then you sacrifice customer experience because you just have to because you can't bear that cost anymore. But the way we do things in Riskify, we always believe that there's somewhere in the middle. Yes. And the difference between a once and fit all policy and a customized per transaction policy is the thing that really give you the biggest bang for your buck. You can then balance customer experience without experiencing huge losses and the cost of doing business. So it's it's funny because that's almost speaking directly to me because I've been saying for a long time, like if you set your refund, if you set a threshold, it's going to get blasted because people exactly are going to figure it out. They're going to throw it on Telegram and say, so-and-so merchant has set this. Anything under that, go buy this product, hit the refund button for this, rip it all day. And I've said for so long that like when this was coming, all pandemic, that you need to have a dynamic solution that's completely individualized to the individual transaction being requested. And the, that factors in the account, the account history, lifetime value of the customer, their previous refund requests, their previous spend requests, like all sorts of factors in every single customer needs to have an independent threshold of where their allowances for automated refunds, for returns, for whatever it may be, but every single customer is different. And I think that one of the things that I've thought about for a really long time, and, and I've, I've, I've tried it in a couple of places, I won't say which merchants that I worked for that I've used it there, mm. but I've used uh, dynamic policies in the past that, that looks at a lot of factors about the individual account that each time they make a request, it pulls in the most recent at that moment in time that the request, like what they are. So if they bought something over the last 24 hours, you know, like the, the amount their lifetime spend is higher than it was when they made the last request, all those things. Now that is a whole different policy that I would have to manage at those merchants. And it's like making, it's, it's basically creating a whole other fraud rule set, essentially, you know, just like we set individual thresholds for our customers when they're making a purchase on what will allow 
like the first guy you've never seen him before. He doesn't even have an address on there. Are you going to let him make a thousand dollar purchase versus this guy that spent three million dollars with you in the last six months? You're going to let him make that that thousand dollar purchase without even worrying about it. You know, the same thing applies to other places on your website, like logins, like <laughs> account creates, mm -hmm. you know, like everywhere you can place those same dynamic thresholds. So, yeah, that's what you guys are doing now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, first of all, I think that I think you, you really understand the essence of what a dynamic threshold should be. I just want to add like a, one more nuance before we talk about what we do. So the customer history is so important and you have, should have a per customer policy. But let me ask you this question. What is the customer to you? Is the customer an account, an email, a combination of email and credit card? Mm. I mean, what is an account? And this is probably the biggest question we've started with when we've launched um, our product uh, and, and started preventing policy abuse. What does it mean to be a customer? How do you work on a per customer basis? And customers are way more than email, right? And yeah. we haven't looked at it in, in such a level in, a, in, 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 in an accurate way before. Because when you look at different emails, maybe an email is okay because they purchased something three times and they were good to go and they, there's nothing suspicious about them. And But maybe they have four, five, six, 20 other different emails, each one with the same pattern of three good orders and then three orders where they abuse you. It's very easy to reach, and this is something I call the endless cycle of abuse, right? You have a fresh account, fresh email. You go on a site, you create some purchases, and you use the privilege. That could be returned. That could be claiming a refund. That could be, you know what? That could be that could be read up for resellers as well. You buy more than, I don't know, X amount of items uh, from a luxury goods item. That, that could be counted as, as abuse as well. They don't want that. But then you reach some type of threshold. Let's say you have that dynamic threshold and you are lucky enough to, to catch that email and you block it. You're not allowed to buy anymore. You don't get any refunds anymore. What happens? That same customer opens a new email. Exactly. All of a sudden, they're not the same customer anymore in your eyes. So what happens? They continue with that same pattern. They buy some more. They use the privilege. They either buy more product or they ask more refund or they return some things. They get blocked again, they open up a new email, and it goes on and on and on and on. We talked about how easy it is. And this is an endless cycle. So our first question was, how do we break that cycle? And we break it by understanding who the real customer is. If we look beyond a data point and we look at massive amounts of data, that could be device fingerprint, email, that could be address, that could be names. Every data point counts. And we take all those different data points and we cluster them together. Now, before we talk a, a little bit more about that, I mean, what's important to understand is MOs keep on changing. Yep. You mentioned how adaptive and, and how, um, and how fraud continue on, continues on changing. So policies like fraud on steroids, 
it changes throughout two years. It changed like five changes in in five years. So we use the same technology, the same core technology we have in our fraud offering, which is more than just machine learning. It's about clustering technology. It's about anomaly detection. Because I think that what sets our fraud prevention apart from other machine learning based solutions out there, that it's not just machine learning. It's not just let's see what happened in the past and decide what will happen in the future based on that. There are other layers to that technology, like finding anomalies. How do you detect uh, sophisticated fraud ring? Not by saying, okay, let's see what happened in the past and have our machine learning analyze those trends and apply those trends. No, you have to look at it day in, day out and understand when the second something changes, only then can you really catch yeah. the, the most amount of fraud. So we took that technology and we used that in our clustering uh, technology for policy. And then we were able to look at all these different data points, all the account history, and leverage our vast merchant network to understand what happens in other sites as well. By looking at all that data, we can understand who the real customer is. And a word about merchant network, if I'm, if I'm taking it to a more technical, too, too deep down the, the technical rabbit hole, let me know, but. You're good. A certain person can change all their data points at your website, right? They can use a new device, a new credit card, a new phone number, a new email, a new shipping address. They can change pretty much everything, but they can't do it in all the shops all the time. Excellent point. So while, while two customers may seem to be completely different to you, we see that this device and that email were combined on another shop. And wait, they have the same address as this account. And then we can create a very clear picture of what a customer is, a very accurate picture of what a customer is. And accuracy matters. And we talked about it. You don't want to insult the wrong customer. Just by having three people sharing an office space, having the same IP and the same shipping address, that doesn't mean they're the same person, even though they share some data points. We have to, and we can differentiate between them. And then we can understand the real shopping history, the real abuse history of each and every customer. And we give the merchant that, not the tool, but the capability to see that. And we help them define the right policy. I think this is the basic. And I think, by the way, we're not the only ones who are trying to do that or trying to prevent abuse. I think this is what this, a lot of companies are trying to find that and trying to, to link different accounts. But I think this is the, just the first step. What we do is we look at more elements of context. Let's say you're looking at someone who's on a borderline of being abused. You're not really sure. There's something going on. Now, let's say they order a, a tuxedo and a pair of socks. Then they claim that the tuxedo never arrived. It's a missing item. That's very suspicious. But let's say, let's say they claim the stock never arrived, but the tuck did make it. That's not as suspicious. So it's also a, a question of what's the pattern, what's the context, what's the product can't. It's not just who are you dealing with. It's what's the scenario you're dealing with. So you take that and you factor that in 
And then you work with each and every merchant to utilize that capability, to set dynamic thresholds, to understand what do they want to prevent? How do they want to prevent it? And then, only then, can you stop user scale. That's uh, very interesting there. And I like I like a lot of those examples. Um, I think for, for a lot of merchants, they see, like, they block the account, then they'll go create a new account. And I think that over the, the past few years, you know, a lot of merchants have gotten better about, about tying accounts together a little bit. Like, they use the device ID and all that, but, you know, those can be beat. They, despite what everybody says, they can be beat. And I think it's really important, especially in, in businesses that have to deal with like unapproved resellers, any sort of broker situation where like people have more inventory than they're supposed to have at any given moment, being able to link those accounts together is fundamentally crucial. And, and any merchant that's big and has a high volume of transactions, like you can't do that by hand. Like it's just physically impossible. You can hire the biggest manual review team in the whole world and you're not going to get everybody. What what needs to happen, and I've been saying this for probably five, six years now, is that we need to move our detection of our anomalies in in our, our flows further up. I mean, mm-hmm. bonus points if you can hit that like while they're logging in and extra bonus points if you can really hit that when they even touch the site altogether. But that's a little harder. You know, you have a lot of bot mitigation tools. Elon Musk has been very... Um, vocal about bots, which I think has brought bots to a lot of people's attention. And there's bots um, everywhere doing all the things now. You see them upvoting things. You see them manipulating ratings on things. Um, you see them trying to just exploit any sort of, of thing they can. But finding those anomalies, so when you when you deactivate an account, you need to then be able to see them trying to register an account and create a new account. Because when they get that new account, if you, if you just you're playing whack-a-mole. So if they get that new account, then they're back in and they're doing all the things they can. And, and I think even, even if like you're not deactivating accounts because they're not doing anything crazy, like a lot of like really popular things is like you, you 50% off your first purchase, $5. If you create an account today, you know, you see people making a hundred, a thousand accounts trying to exploit that exact behavior and get that benefit, you know, like get that $5 sign up, get that $10 sign up, you know, get that 50% off, get your first meal on us, you know, those sorts of things. So they'll just rip it again and again and again. And there's, there is a finite number of resources. Like usually when you have like a $5, $10, like sign up bonus, that money is coming from like VC money or coming from your bottom line. So you really don't want people ripping that money because there's a finite number. You might have a certain budget on that exact promo and one guy might clear out your entire budget. So you need to be able to identify those customers when they're creating those new accounts, those shell accounts to take advantage of something that you're offering. And you can't do it with static rules. You need to have something that's dynamic, that's looking at the velocity, that's looking at the linking, that's looking at a large number of factors instantly to to say, to decline that transaction. And you don't want to decline that transaction and say, you already have an account. We know this, blah, 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 blah. Because then they're immediately going to try and figure out how you know that. And they're going to start looking mm-hmm. at all their things to try and beat that. So you need to just have a generic decline message that says, you know, there's something went wrong and then don't tell anybody. Like some of the people will call customer service, but a lot of fraudsters don't. And they'll just move on to the next website that has the easy ability. Like even on the same thing goes for fraud. If, if they're burning their credit card list, 
by trying to make purchases because you're blocking, you're catching them and you're blocking and they're not getting any successful transactions. Like that's not a good use of their money purchasing that credit card list to begin with. So hopefully they'll get annoyed and go F off to somebody else's website and go try and be using that list there. The same thing applies. If they're not getting monetary value out of exploiting and abusing your site, they'll probably move on. But the trick is, is you have to make it annoying enough that they do. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think um, that it's important to understand what friction you want to add in what point of Great the customer point. journey. Yeah. Uh, and you know, let's talk about concreation, right? So, I, I, a couple of months back, eBay announced that they had to readjust their their forecast because they find I think like I found like four point five million fake accounts. Oh yeah, I remember eBay. that. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it, it does happen to everyone. Um, but then you have to look at the entire customer journey. What do you know and what do you want to do at account creation? What do you know and you want to do at checkout? By the way, it goes the same with refunds. Maybe if someone's a serial refunder, you want to stop them at checkout and not deal with the entire claim processing. What do you want to do pre-fulfillment? Is there anything you want to do? Maybe you want to um, send it to a pickup box and not to their home. Um, is there anything once the order approved you that you want to go over? Or is there anything you need to even pick a carrier? I don't know. Um, and there are decisions different to be made post-fulfillment, right? Proving a claim, proving a, a return. Yep. Um, so then it's about getting as much insight as possible and having, as you mentioned, dynamic threshold. So you could decide, what do you want to do if you detect anomalies and what type of anomaly do you want to prevent in account creation? What do you want to allow and see if there's any additional information, additional anomaly at checkout? What do you want to do later on? And then what do you want to do post-fulfillment if there's any claim or, or, or anything of that sort? So you do build the entire array of reaction and preventive and re and. Uh, and reactive to every point at the customer journey. And I mentioned earlier, and I always say that, why is this not a tool? Why is this a capability? You have the capability to know who to trust, what transaction to trust, what order to, to trust, who's profitable, who's not profitable. And you know that in every point of the customer journey. Now we work with you in order to understand what is the best business logic that you want to implement. It's way more than fraud prevention. It's way more than saying approve or decline. Um, and again, this is why it's a capability. Um, and you know, you mentioned resellers, by the way. Um, with resellers, it's interesting because let's talk about it for a second, right? If someone, and let's take a luxury, luxury merchant. Okay. If someone's buying, I don't know, 10 bags. Hey, you can spot them and say, this is, this is probably a reseller. But you know what? This could be Rihanna. That's an excellent point. <laughs> do you want to block her from buying at your account, at your shop? Probably not. Um, let's take even, it doesn't have to be a, a high-end, high-end merchant. All of a sudden, you see volume. This could be like someone buying a very nice watch to their sales team. Okay. Right. This is, it could be, and by not being accurate enough, yeah, 
then you're not only letting resellers through, you're probably also falsely declining your customers. Exactly. And I think that that's super important. Like um, every business has a tolerance level on resellers. Um, and I think that's a good point. Like some don't want any at all, you know, and some like it, they want a little bit, but not a lot. But the same thing, like I said earlier, if someone spent like $3 million with you in the last six months and all of a sudden he's trying to push through a $10,000 order, like, do you want to decline that? You know, if you got like millions of dollars over like four years worth of history with this person, like in no chargebacks, like you don't want to offend your VIPs, your whales, you know, like you want to let them go. But at the same time, like there is a balance, you know, like, like right now, like I, I wish I could get a Rolex and they're like, they're just, there's none. They're, they're all, they're all hard to get right now. You know, and I'm sure there's resellers that are, that are squeaking through place and orders, you know, make it jacking the price up on everything. But also, you know, I've worked at companies too, where they, there's a brand reputation online for that too. You know, like they don't want people selling their products higher than they can making the brand sound bad or selling expired products. You know, like there's, there's so many things that come into this reseller thing and you you have to, and I think that like having a, if, if I'm putting things in place in this area, having a, a solution provider that would work with me to understand like my exact ones and have it be dynamic based on my exact business would be extremely beneficial in the long run and scalable too. You know, like we had this pandemic up and now we're down and coming into this recession, like, well, some businesses and, it's, I need something that could go up and down with my business. So if tomorrow I have an influx, you know, of a hundred X, I don't, I'm not scrambling. I'm not falling behind. Does all that make sense? There's a lot in there too. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. It makes, makes perfect sense. And I think that when, when you do, once you do a good job preventing policy abuse of any sort, it could be promo, it could be instead of, you mentioned that, and I completely agree that if you don't make it easy, they just move on to the next site. If you make it easy, it's exponential. If there's a new yes. mo and, and they get through, again, it's on all the chatter. Everyone knows that what they can do in order to beat you. And then whether you you set some type of rule or, or you don't, it doesn't matter. They will find the yep. loophole and they will take advantage. So yeah, it's about being dynamic and being proactive. The more you prevent upfront, the less you have to deal with it later. And and you know what? No one wants to be that customer service representative that gets a call asking, why did they decline my orders? I'm a good customer. Why did they not give me my refund? This is the first time I'm buying. And without that smoking gun, the ability to look in the picture and know who you're talking to and know what you did, what you do, what you did, how hard it is to be in that situation. So yeah, I think more and more merchants understand that they have to be proactive. They have to prevent it. They have to stop these new MOs. And it, it's true for any type of policy, whether it's resellers, promo abuse. There's a lot of money to be lost, brand reputation, uh, which is on the line. And the more you let it go, the harder it is to come back. Yeah. And I think that it's an excellent point. Like even at the beginning, what you were saying there, like the once it, an exploit is found and then it's exponential. Like I see it all the time. Whenever we see like a new thing pop up, those are one or two Z transactions, you know, then all of a sudden the next day there's more, then there's more, then there's more. And then, cause they're, they're seeing it and they're trying to rip it. And it does help in, in identification of, of the actual thing that's happening. But 
you need to, as soon as like they get a couple through, then they're just going to start ripping it. And it's going to get more and more every day that you don't solve it. And it's, I see the same thing happen on like uh, other things. Like there's other ways to monetize sites, like certain sites allow, like they give you, if you write a good review, you can, you get monetized if you upvote that. Well, guess what happens? One person figured that out and they figured out they can make a bunch of accounts and they could upvote it. Boom, boom, boom. So all of a sudden they're upvoting their own review again and again and again. And it starts off small. And then it goes a little more and then they, they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it more, more and more. And the next thing you know, you got a problem on your hands. And I think that like, especially now, it's really easy to to talk to your, your senior leadership teams about these sorts of things to get investments in it because margins are smaller. Inflation is real. You know, supply chains are harder to get your product. So you're making, you want to make sure that when you sell a product, you're maximizing the value of that sale. You're not going to get a refund. You're not going to get a charge back. You're not going to get ripped on, on other things from that account happening there. You're not going to get like the money walking out the door on promo code abuse, on gift card abuse, on all of these different things. You know, you really need to be protecting multiple channels. And you can really articulate that with, with your senior leadership team. If you really start to peel back those layers and look at each of your touch points where there's monetization, what's happening there. And then how are you going to solve it with a dynamic solution, right? <laughs> yeah. And let me add to that. Um, you know, coming from fraud prevention or even the word prevention, we're trying to block bad behavior. But let's talk about what brought us to the situation of policy abuse in the first place, right? Trying to give the best customer experience, the optimal customer experience with without suffering the cost of abuse, right? This is what we're trying to solve. Now that you can identify abuse, let's say you have that capability, you know always who to trust and when. You don't only have to use it to prevent abuse. You can use it to optimize the customer experience to the good loyal customer, right? I mean, imagine what you do now and what service you have now, and imagine what you can do when you know for a fact that you can trust someone. What right? When in the next time that they ask for a return, and let's say even it's a let's say it's a it's a seventy dollars worth an item, you can tell them you know what, keep it. You save the return logistics. You earn that customer because you know you can trust them. Yes, great point. You know that. So imagine you can offer better perks, customized promos. But you offer those to those who are good customers the, who are using promos in a way that you intended them to use promos. Great point. I like that. So I think that while policy is the monster of our own creation, and we try to, rev- to provide the best service, and this one type fit all policy created huge losses, mm-hmm. while merchants implement the right solution to differentiate abusers and good customers, they can not only save the cost of abuse, they can also optimize their customer um, experience and really optimize the response to each and every transaction. Uh, and I think that in years to come, we will understand that policy did us a great service. We are now, we'll probably be in a situation that we can offer customers more and we do now at last cost than costing us now, just because we know what to do in each and every situation. Imagine like you have an Uber account and you have and in, and you're let's say you're an Uber driver, right? And you don't want to have someone 
uh, take down your radio. Imagine you have something like that for a customer and a customer knows that once they're loyal, they will be rewarded for that loyalty in an individual hmm. way. Yeah. What would that do to brand loyalty in general and to that experience? So again, this is slightly more futuristic, but I think this is where we're heading. I like that. Like I, I like that. You know, there's all of these, the, the the privacy, the data, all of the stuff that's happening in the world. You know, and usually all the focus is is like these. This data is being gathered for bad. You know, I like the idea of the data is being gathered for good. <laughs> I think that that puts an interesting spin on it. You know, there's still going to be people that are always going to be like, oh, data is data is data, privacy, 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 but you know, obviously we have a need for certain levels of data to protect our consumers um, and make sure like things like ATO on their accounts is, is mitigated, you know, like same thing, like you can, you can usually tell like ATOs and you can, another place that you can put you guys is like, if they do make it into account, they get past a login, you know, then they get into an account, they start changing the details, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I know some, some websites start looking at like they do a, a fraud profile or abuse profile when, when an email is changed or a credit card is updated all these places that you should be looking at like for signals onto your abuse. And I like the idea of using these signals for, for good, you know, Hey, we see you just moved, like come check out your local whatever shop for $5 off and welcome to the neighborhood. You know, things, things like that would be super interesting use of, of that, this whole thing. Cause like I, like I always say all the time, we're so focused on the bad that happens in the fraud industry because that's what we see all day. We live and we breathe in, in the bad of the transactions, but there's so much, like the vast majority of customers are good. They're doing good things. They they just want to buy your product. If it doesn't fit, they want to return it. They want to get the right one and they want to move on with their lives. They want to go show it off at school. They want to show it off at the office. You know, they want to get that new coffee mug. Uh, it's the vast majority of people are good, but we're just so focused on the bad, you know, like it, it is really important that, that us looking at the bad doesn't dictate the 99% of our customers that are good. So, yeah. So tell us a, like a, a little more. I know we're, we're kind of, we're kind of coming up on time here and everything, but um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about some of the, the new stuff that you guys are working on. Is, is it a formal product? Is it more of a, just a, a different use case for your existing products? Uh, yeah, just a little bit about that. <laughs> oh, for sure. So it is, it is new product, but, um, it's already live with, um, a couple of merchants and we can, uh, it's very interesting that the more merchants you have live on this product, the more you can understand what's happening across merchant. And you can even see advanced things that we never knew were happening, like abuse reading. You can see cross merchant abuse. You can see people and you can identify people even before they abuse your site. Um, so yeah, this product is live and uh, we've been managing to save merchants millions of dollars. And I'm, I'm happy to say that. Um, and I think that, again, looking at the, 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 defining this as a capability, I don't think we just save them a lot of money. I don't think it's just saving them 10 or 15% of their refund. Um, I think they today they understand their customers maybe just a little bit better. By having that ability, they can also look and analyze different things in the way they haven't done so in the past. And they can decide different things, different strategies of when to launch a product, how to launch a product. Um, and, and, and it helps define a new mindset. So yes, this product 
uh, is live and is working extremely well. Um, I don't want to oversell it because I want to talk about what's happening in the domain. I don't. I'm not a salesperson, um, but absolutely, I think that the world today, I think, divides of e-commerce divides into two: those who who have policy views and those who don't understand they have policy views. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's something in it for everyone. And every merchant we talk to, we just analyze their data and you can see the savings, you can see the money on the floor immediately. And the more we work on it, the more we can optimize each and every merchant. And then you understand it's not just about finding the 1% or the 2%, it's the 10%, 50% of cost that's being thrown away today. Um, so I think I, I really love this product. This is the first thing I've done since I've risk, joined Riskified. Um, and I continue on being heavily involved in this domain, except from the part that it, it's a great conversation starter. And it's always interesting to understand what people are doing in different sites and getting more and more stories. I think that this also talks to consumers. And, you know, Myself, I'm also somewhat of an abuser. I opened <laughs> three different uh, yeah. accounts. I won't say with Merchant, and I bought three different pairs of shoes, gave some of it away uh, at a discount. Um, but just so you understand the volume of what every transaction does, I think it's really, really interesting. And I have to say, I really love this domain. Um, there's so much to understand, and there's so much to dig into. And as I mentioned, we started... Um, a while back was just understanding the identity but in a very accurate way. Today that you also look at the protocol and the pattern and the different contexts involved and cross-merchant abuse and abuse dream. There's just so much that I, I think it, uh, it's every merchant and I know that every merchant that implemented this solution went through a process. And you you mentioned that sometimes fraud prevention is considered as a cost center. Yeah. Um, I I see that in organizations that adopt this solution, it forces fraud managers to work with e-commerce and customer service in a different way. And together, fraud managers are now helping the business get more and more money and provide better and better service. So it's really interesting to see the evolution that these merchants are going through. Good point there. I think that that's, that's a really excellent takeaway from that is it, our cross-functional work has become a lot more necessary. You know, we, we talk about like how to work with your security team more, but you still have customer service. You still have finance. You know, there's a lot of other teams that are involved. And if you can have these open and honest and, and concise conversations, uh, I think it's extremely beneficial. Um, normally I ask at the end of these, like, what are your top three trends happening in your world? But I believe that we've already covered all three that are on this <laughs> list. <laughs> so I think, I think we did a good job, you know, um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today? Uh, no, really. Uh, I, the only thing I have to say about policy, and I think I mentioned that, that there is a civil line to it. I think that by detecting who's bad, you can understand who's good. And you can provide them more. And that's what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. It's easy to stop abuse. It's easy to stop fraud. The question is at what cost? Here, it's not just at no cost. It's about you can also provide better service. So as a consumer, 
and uh, as a solution provider, I really am excited about the opportunity that effective fraud prevention solutions could bring to this world. And yeah. apart from that, I had a blast. And and yeah. thanks for having me, Jordan. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being on this. Like, this was a really, really great conversation. I think the content was fantastic. And I think that the audience is going to get a, a, a great amount of value out of this. So thank you very much for giving me your time here. Uh, I'll put the links to Riskify down in, in the comments uh, or in the description on this. So anybody that has any questions, feel free to reach out. I know that they're they're more than willing to give demos and, and all those things. Uh, just really, really thank you for coming on here and, and giving me your time. Like, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I had a blast again.